If you haven't already realized it, the dip is the secret to your success. The people who set out to make it through the dip, the people who invest the time and the energy and the effort to power through the dip, those are the ones who become the best in the world. They're breaking the system because instead of moving on to the next thing, instead of doing slightly above average and settling for what they've got, they embrace the challenge. For whatever reasons, they refuse to abandon the quest and they push through the dip all the way to the next level. The brave thing to do is to tough it out and end up on the other side, getting all the benefits that come from scarcity. The mature thing is not even to bother starting because you're probably not going to make it through the dip. And the stupid thing is to start, give it your best shot, waste a lot of time and energy and quit right in the middle. A few people will choose to do the brave thing and end up the best in the world. Informed people will probably choose to do the mature thing and save their resources for a project they are truly passionate about. Both are fine choices. It is the last choice, the common choice, the choice to give it a shot and then quit that you must avoid if you want to succeed. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Podcast. I began with these lines from my hero, Seth Godin's book, The Dip, the extraordinary benefits of knowing when to quit and when to stick. And when to stick. I can't recommend this book to you enough because it is it will certainly change the way you think about risks in your life, you think about projects in your life. And it's so true that if we ought to be the best in whatever we choose to be in our lives, we have to take the risks. We have to go beyond our comfort zone and do things that scare us. Because it is that scarcity, it is that feeling that we might lose that will give you the upside. You don't have to be sure, you cannot be sure. You can never truly be sure about anything. But the best shot we have to really create the life for our dreams is to do things that we are totally passionate about. And that passion is not something that will happen as just as a consequence of you making a choice. It is something that you will have to work on daily, every day, every night. You will have to do little things that help you push towards your idea, towards your passion. With that, I have with you a great episode today. I am in conversation with Aditi Gupta from Sterlite Technologies and she has been sharing some amazing insights on how big companies, companies which are now in the midst of this huge digital transformation uh, in, in the aftermath of COVID, how are they changing, how are they reigniting their processes. They need leaders today, they don't need people who, are, who will be told what to do because nobody knows what, to, what needs to be done. So this is your moment, guys. This is your moment. People out there, they don't know what to do. They are looking for a leader and that leader is you. So step out of your comfort zone and be the leader we all seek you to be. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Podcast. We're back with the Chief of Staff series and today I have with me Aditi Gupta. Uh, let me give a brief introduction of Aditi because she's had a long and illustrious career uh, in the corporate sector. Uh, it's been over a decade. 
She's worked across industries like financial services, telecom, consulting, and now technology. Uh, she did her. Uh, she got her education from the prestigious uh, Lady Sri Ram College of Women, where she pursued uh, a bachelor's in economics. She then moved on to pursue her master's uh, and MBA from Narsi Monji, which is one which is one of India's leading MBA colleges. And she's had an amazing uh, uh, breadth of work, um, from research to finance, and now uh, you know largely part of the strategy cult in her office. She's working uh, as the chief of staff uh, to the CEO of Network Services and Software Division at Sterlite Tech. So welcome Aditi to the show. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Rohit. Thanks for having me. That's an amazing breadth of work that you've done across industries um, and the kind of kind of background that you have moving from finance to uh, uh, you know account management, which is kind of a very different field. And now you're working straight with the leadership kind of influence the entire business. So how does it feel? How does this uh, journey, how has it been for you? Well, they always say that the dots uh, always connect looking backward. So I never planned for all this. Um, I started my career in investment banking because I, I did my MBA in finance as majors. And uh, there, you know, I was, um, I was given a PPO in the epitome uh, of investment banks, Goldman Sachs. And uh, thereafter, uh, you know, I moved um, locations and in the in the location that I'm currently in for where I've been for 10 years about uh, there, uh, there was not so much, uh, you know, financial um, workspace mm. because of which I had to change my stream. And, uh, you know, I thought that uh, just working with uh, the senior leadership will give me a good uh, perspective of business. So I moved into corporate strategy at that point of time. And uh, then it was a techno-functional role in the same organization. And after that, it's, it's just been, uh, you know, exploring the variety of work, just, uh, you know, the fact that growth and comfort do not coexist, right? So um, uh, just uh, acquiring more experience, whether it be consulting. So I was in PwC for some time and now with STL. So uh, growth, it's been nice. It's been a good journey. It's been a great learning, I should say. Growth and comfort cannot coexist. Beautiful. That's a beautiful line. Yeah, and no, I, I totally believe in this. My name, Aditi, actually means uh, limitless or unbounded. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I believe in this uh, completely. And uh, even in the kind of roles that I have done, uh, like you said, it's been like a breadth of roles, uh, you know, even within STL, I started as the head of business planning analysis, moved mm. into heading the key account management because... Uh, you know, the company was setting that uh, ideology or philosophy. And now um, I'm the chief of staff of uh, a business division. So it's been a great learning journey. Learning never stops. Yes, true. And uh, part of the reason why I started uh, this entire podcast series was my own um, wanting to learn or figure out what this role is all about. So uh, it, it started with me kind of trying to explore opportunities within startups, trying to be part of the founder's team, uh, you know, in companies or areas where I am uh, inspired to do something. And as I tried to kind of find more information across the web, I could hardly find anything. And that's, that's how, you know, that's, that's how this uh, entire series has really evolved. Uh, it was my own exploration of what you guys really do. And now we are talking, so it's, it's amazing for me. Now, um, you know, I 
because the series all, was all about initially about startups and the kind of uh, challenges that founders have to deal with i'm pretty sure in a large company uh, a business division feels a whole lot like you know building your own business so from that perspective if you could share uh, some insights into what this role is all about and uh, you know just take us through you know, maybe a typical day how it feels like for you on the job sure i would uh, want to start with the origins of this role and like you rightly said not much is written or said about this role uh, this is a unique uh, podcast uh, series that you have started uh, but uh, like the origins of this is in the roman history right with some leaders having um, having their ministers as political strategists or financial overseers and after that um, president roosevelt he uh, convinced the congress to have such an office uh, for the president so that's how the white house uh, chief of staff office came into being this was sometime after the great depression in 1940s about just before the world war 2 was about to begin so john steelman was the first official chief of staff and the origins is in uh, the us uh, even in the military so like you know uh, bipin rawat is uh, our you know chief of defense staff at india and uh, then thereafter you know it percolated to the uh, us organizations so the concept of chief of staff uh, primarily originated uh, you know of course like i said from the history but also in us uh, polity and um, you know the the corporate side and then it slightly it's it uh, it rolled over to the east uh, you know in india we really have these roles by different connotations you call them uh, executive assistant uh, or the strategic assist uh, executive assistant to ceo in couple of organizations uh, and you also call them business manager to ceo or cxos in some organizations like you know in um, in the tatas uh, you know in the billa aditya billa group uh, in the uh, ambani group um the reliance group uh, they have these roles and um, like i'll i'll talk about some of the prominent uh, ea to ceos as well the role by which it is known here in india uh, so you have rajan anandan he was the ex head of google india and now he's the yeah. md at sukoya capital india yes. um and he was the ea I to think, michael dell uh, i think yeah. he's leading the search you know they have this whole new division set up by uh, sequoia which is called search which is completely okay. on early stage startups i think he's leading that division right right so he's he's moved on to sequoia now so he was the ea to michael dell um you know sometime back wow. then sonjoy chatterjee who is uh, the uh, M, who is the chairman at uh, goldman sachs india was mm. the ea to kv kamath when when mr kamath was leading the icici bank Uh, and then mr n chandrashekaran who is now the chairman of tata sons was yeah, the yeah. ea to s ramadurai who was the ceo of tcs at that point of time so um you know you see uh, uh, these roles have have implications and uh, it's a it's a very good springboard for people who are looking towards the corner office who are actually looking to learn about the business 360 degrees so um like you know it really depends the the manifestation of this role depends a lot on the leader and the company and how they want to utilize it whether you know it is the the efficient efficiency master or uh, the the execution ninja or you know the strategic <laughs> advisor right, right? Uh, so or whether it's a combination of these three you know the or the ideal when 
uh, diagram, you can just look at uh, the commonality. So it really depends on how the leaders want to look at this role. There is a great article in in the Harvard Business uh, on this, the case for a chief of staff. And uh, there is also, uh, you know, in terms of resources, like you were saying, not much is written. So a little of it is coming across in the media. There is a nice course. If someone wants to know more about this by Brian Rumo, he is yeah. the chief of staff to, uh, you know, the ex-CEO of Jeff, Fien Jeff Wiener of LinkedIn. And it's a nice course. It, it just tells you a lot about, you know, how this role is kind of structured in organizations, in big organizations, especially in US. That's, so, that's um, the first uh, and, then, I saw and I did on LinkedIn before I decided to kind of jump into the series. Yes, yes, I, I think it gives a good idea because, you know, uh, as, as a chief of staff, I always feel that I'm doing, you know, work which is very different. Um, and I would want to know what others are doing, learning from them as well. So it gave me a good learning. Um, there's also a book by Tyler Paris um, called The Chief of Staff, uh, you know, a strategic person who would, um, you know, uh, uh, increase your value add and all that. So it's, it's a good book. Um, and, uh, you know, so we have some resources there. And of course, on LinkedIn, we have a group of chief of staff where um, the chief of staff of prominent organizations are there. So it's a good community. And I interacted with a couple of them. And just to learn of, you know, how others are taking this role. If someone new is coming, you know, they, they are kind of asking, how do we take up? And uh, the community is there to help. So uh, that's, that's like one place where one can search for these, uh, uh, you know, for help. Uh, if, they, they want, if they want to grow in this role, really. So um, as far as the role itself is concerned, I think, um, uh, you know, we have been shaping this uh, depending on the vision of the leader and uh, the strategy that the company wants to have. And in my, uh, in my place, basically, we have three themes which are running around this role. One is around business management or what you call the rhythm of business. And... Um, then you have around the strategic program management, which is managing the strategic programs um, at the CEO's office. And then you have something called, uh, you know, the rhythm of communication, which mm. is really about, um, you know, the employee experience, uh, uh, you know, getting the employees to align around that vision, which is really important. So there are a couple of key themes uh, and these are prominent. You would see these themes coming up in a lot of roles. Right. Um, or, or chief of staff or a strategic EA to a CXO. So yeah, it's it's been good. And uh, as far as uh, the day in the life of a, a CXO or a, a chief of staff to a, to, a, to a CXO is concerned, I would say that um, uh, it's it's different. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it has to be a bit structured in the sense that you know uh, you need to you need to prioritize your 30, 60, and 90 days, mm. um, as well as uh, keep recalibrating your uh, your uh, priorities, basis the long term. And, you know, I, I say this, this is my tagline um, and my lighthouse, actually, that be ambitious, be agile, um, and be uh, authentic, be Aditi. You know, I, I say this, it's my lighthouse. And I say this because it's so important to be agile um, and, uh, you know, to have uh, to have big, hairy, audacious goals. And that's the that's the hallmark of a leader. I'll start with with ambitious. And, uh, you know, a, a leader ought to set a great vision. Audacious. Yeah, visions are audacious. And also, you know, vision is is seeing something which is invisible to others. Right. 
uh, isn't it? So it's it's about you know a leader setting a vision which is uh, which looks very uh, you know which looks very far and it looks very tough. But the idea is uh, you know he needs to have a team which is which is getting people aligned and percolating that vision, the clarity of that vision across the team. Uh, so uh, that is very important. Having an ambitious vision and having the right team to achieve that vision. Um, having a strategy and a strategy execution uh, team, which is which is like a feedback loop, which you, which you create. So while you while there's nothing called a perfect strategy, right? It's a myth. Uh, it's like you know, a, a happily a living happily ever after. It's yeah, a perpetual that's myth. True. Um, so it's a lot about, uh, like a, about, a perfect. It's a lot about doing uh, A/B testing with your ideas. Yes, absolutely. And it's a very top down view, right? So you need to also keep recalibrating it with your strategy execution. Um, uh, you know, as in when you execute it, you see, uh, you see some issues and then you, you, you create a feedback into your strategy and you keep refining it. So there's got to be, there's got to be that refinement so that the wheel is running on its own. It's a self-sustaining wheel. Uh, so that is one. The agility, I say, is important because you know the pandemic, for example, is a classic uh, is a classic case in point. We finished our planning in February, around March, sometime, and then you know the COVID happened, and uh, we had to recalibrate the plans. Uh, we had to uh, we had to look at everything afresh. And um, you know, there we uh, I'll just bring up an example of Volkswagen, which is a program that we started. Now, Volkswagen mm -hmm. was um, you know, a, a program which is off take from the Black Swan event, which uh, which Mr. Taleb, uh, Nicholas Taleb in his book speaks about, which is like once in a, a century pandemic. Uh, so right. the idea was to, you know, to look at the um, metaphor of gold and black, turning the black into gold, turning adversity into opportunity, really. And um, also, you know, getting the team together uh, who, we really did not know what's next. It was really like a mountain which had come on top of, or, you know, in front of us, and we had to climb on the top, and we we didn't know what was on the other side. But just the fact that we all were together and we all were determined to to make a certain target or a vision was so powerful. And uh, we we actually aligned the team to a, a completely different set of tracks, uh, literally overnight. Uh, we, we presented it in our monthly review, in the monthly business review, and uh, you know it was, it was, it is still running now. We are having version 2.0, version 3.0. It was supposed to run for the first quarter only. So the idea is really, you know, uh, how to get the pieces together, how to manage your agility, and really this role of chief of staff is a lot about thriving in a VUCA world. Right, it's about thriving in that volatility and agility. Of course, you need to have a bit of it organized as well, but um, anything can come up at any point of time, and your and your your manager can say, or your leaders, your extended leadership can say, oh, you know, there is this blocker, this person is not uh, listening, or you know, we are short of resources. How do we meet our targets? And you need to solve that problem quickly because by the time it reaches you, it's already super urgent. Right, so uh, that's that's about agility and authenticity. Is I feel the most important of uh, the three because you know you cannot fake it. Right, when we are spending around uh, seventy percent of our time, um, you know, in office, and I I call this a work family. Like that's how uh, we address it. It's so important for all the employees to feel like this is a part of the family. Um, 
you need to be authentic. You need to be authentic with your team, with your customers. Now, for me, the in customers are internal, right? right? I'm not really interacting with external customers, but you know, for, for, with your customers, with your uh, peers, it's just so important to be authentic and you know to be yourself. Um, otherwise, people see through it after some point of time, and also you are not at your best. Right. right. So authenticity is really important. And, um, you know, so that that's that's the piece like ambitious, agile, agile and um, authenticity. Bring, I'm saying bringing your best face to work, your best mind to work every day is what you need to constantly work on. That's what being authentic. Absolutely. Works. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the idea is uh, we have one more program here and I'll, I'll talk about uh, authenticity. I'll give an example. Mm. Why I say this is because, you know, like I said, I, I, I call my, my uh, workplace, my work family, because, uh, you know, we have uh, employees of different um, micro businesses within our umbrella business and all of them need to feel like they are part of one family right uh, because that's how you will create those synergies across a value proposition you have acquired companies because you feel there is a synergy across and you can you know you can uh, provide that to your customer as a one-stop solution but if the employees don't talk to each other uh, you know, no matter how how good that vision might have been of of acquiring a company, it will not work. So it is it is really about you know getting that harmony together, and we also have uh, something called a project harmony, right? It is about uh, you know all the nodes getting together for a perfect musical rhythm. So um, you know it, I call it the power of of one. Mm. It is very important for the employees to feel like they are part of one family. And uh, employee experience in my in my mind is very important part of what this role plays in in creating. Okay, that's a lot for me to digest, and we just try and break down uh, and bring uh, you know two four certain aspects of this conversation. So one that I can uh, that I can kind of one big takeaway for me is that guy in the corner office. That's like he is so dependent on you to get stuff done so let's start with him first right um, you've been working with these senior leaders for a long time now um, you know often people who are uh, just starting out they don't realize or there isn't enough empathy yet for them to figure out what is this what is it that this guy is going through right so there is a lot of resentment towards my boss I've had it. I'm pretty sure you felt it at some point in time in your career. But as you move into, as you transition into this role, it doesn't matter if you're in a young startup where you're working with a 25-year-old CEO or you're working with a seasoned guy in Sterlite. That remains, that your ability to empathize is super, super important. So tell us about some instances of, did you struggle initially with this, with what his goals and goals are? I'm pretty sure he is also responsible to report to somebody like you are to him and he has those challenges and you have to foresee not only your challenges or the teams but also his so bringing that to balance is pretty important so let's talk about that first 
that's right and it could be a he or she um, but the idea is uh, yeah but the idea is that um, uh, you know when you're working so long with the leaders you you understand their perspective when you are outside you feel like you know the person is giving you orders it's giving you these big mm -hmm. targets and you know um, uh, they are always pressurizing but the idea is uh, you know they also have that vision Uh, mm. you know they they also uh, like you rightly said and like you empathized right that they that they have to report into someone and uh, you know they they also have those targets with them somebody's pushing them for those targets but the idea of this role also is to play a good cop and a bad cop at times if you will right it's it's you about can play uh, a bad cop with your boss you can play a good cop with your uh, boss and you're playing a bad with you're playing the bad cop with the team can you role reverse This situation. You can when when you can you can and you know the idea is that uh, are you bringing the right perspectives of your team uh, issues to to your manager um, or are you trying to get it resolved within within the team itself because his time is precious right everybody has twenty four hours and this role has to really multiply the return on the leadership's time I would say it's not only the CXO but the extended leadership which right. has to feel like one team. right and if there are cracks within within the leadership team it starts showing up in conversations in conversations internally in conversations with customers right you you have to present a united face and for that you need those you know those uh, those peripheries uh, uh, to to really come together those forces to really come together uh, to create one indomitable uh, sort of force uh, to, uh, you know on on achieving the vision So yes, um, empathy is very important, and empathy forms, uh, you know, one of the critical bases for being authentic leader. Uh, you know, empathy and humility, and mm. this role has to um, not only, not only I would say, empathize with with the leader. It also has to empathize with the person at the end of the day on whom the targets are. Uh, you know, they have the responsibility of meeting them and. you've kind to, you know you've kind to play a balance between uh, not only seeing that the targets are met but also helping the person uh, you know debottlenecking those constraints right they will also face either some uh, you know some process pressures or some um, uh, you know some uh, resource challenges uh, some team issues how can you go and resolve that right how can you and why is this occurring in the first place and and also the fact that you know what can you do to make this systemic issue go once and forever maybe this issue is occurring in other places mm. so let's say you know if we you know if we don't have a playbook of sorts or if you don't have a a process document of sorts this this issue will keep occurring now it will keep occurring even afterwards even when i'm not in this role right or if the person is not in the ceo position so how can you resolve that systemic issue forever right so like we we created an entire playbook around the sales processes uh, around this so that you know it becomes like a, a a consistent document in the system forever uh, it, and it is important to leave that legacy see improvements can always be made but the idea is at least a person who is coming new in the organization whom you are inducting into the culture of the organization he's well aware he or she is well aware of the processes as and when they come in so uh, that is is really important uh, you know understanding the person's 
uh, viewpoint and also just cascading the leader's viewpoint um, uh, to the teams. It could be different and different, you know, like in the finance team, it will be different for the HR teams. It will be different for the uh, technology teams. It will be different for the for the finance. Um, like I said, it will be different. So it will be different in different places, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of conversations you will have. And also, um, it is about you know uh, the the relationship between the businesses and the corporate. Okay, how how are you how are you, how are you maintaining that? Or you know mm -hmm. ab about if it is the CEO, if it's a group CEO, then it's about the relationship uh, between his office and the board, right? How how do you ensure that those conversations are playing well and they are being understood um, and uh, being executed rightly? So uh, empathy from all perspectives, this role has to be super humble. And uh, you know, the moment you have this um, tendency to, to use the office's name to get work done, um, you know, that, that will really, uh, uh, not only, uh, yes. And you know, the idea is uh, you will not develop the muscle of influence without authority, right? Uh, you have to, this role is a lot about influencing without authority. And then, uh, you know, after a point of time, uh, you become dispensable, right? Anyways, everybody is uh, dispensable. But the idea is that, you know, how do you add value as a person? Why would someone come up to you and, and uh, you know, tell you their issues? And why would they, uh, you know, go to the CEO directly, right? It is that, it is that when, you know, you create a... Uh, you know, you create that uh, extra time for your CEO to look out, to have those conversations with the clients or the external stakeholders, which is just so important. So, yeah, like you said, you know, like uh, empathy and humility are super important. You know, I was today, just in the morning, I was reading a post on LinkedIn, which, which was talking about this uh, attention scarcity that we are living in. There's just so much information being flooded on us all the time. Yes. Uh, from yes. brands from people, from just the environment around us, that we kind of uh, yes. lose interest quickly in things, which is also true. I was speaking to a yes. friend yesterday that I have very vivid memories of my childhood of certain things like watching a movie or going to play a game. But I have very little memories right. of you know, going to a movie last year because uh, there, are, there are like hundreds mm. of things for me to kind of explore. So this brings me to my next right. point, which is... Uh, to earn attention from someone, which is like very critical, which is what you just touched upon. I think the first step is winning their trust. So, you know, that, that the ability to influence without, uh, without a stick can happen. Authority, yeah. If you, without authority can happen only if you win that person's trust, you become that person's, um, sure. right. You so. He trusts you. He believes that you can, yes. you will make things work. I'm talking both about the CEO and the larger team and the stakeholders. So yes. tell us about your, your own, because now that that's again, a whole different journey. You have to spend time with different people, kind of figure Absolutely. out where, where that sweet spot is, where both of you guys can trust each other and then build, use that as the foundation to build the building. So talk, about, talk about building trust. Uh, how do you do that personally? with your team members, with the CEO, and uh, yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, so I, I do believe that trust is uh, one of the most important base for any relationship, right? And I, I was uh, I was seeing this nice uh, webinar uh, between, uh, you know, the transaction-based relationships and the trust-based relationships. You know, so transaction-based relationships are very, very short-term. They don't even probably take off. Right. Uh, and it takes it is hard to create a trust based relationship. And this is true for everything. I'm not only talking about the corporate, even in your own personal life. It right. takes it, you, you have to invest in relationships, uh, you know, and it is not only a, a, a take and take all the time. It is a give and take relationship, you know, uh, just because, you know, I, I am in the CEO's office doesn't mean that people will just automatically listen to me. The idea is I have to move out of this office and also create my own brand and, you know, have my own journey. And I want that respect, that network to carry on there as well. Right. So one particular um, you know, point that I want to make with respect to the chief of staff is also the fact that uh, I had spent so much time in the system and I had developed a goodwill. And, you know, this could have been one of the reasons why I was selected for this role as well, because I knew the ecosystem. I, I knew the culture of this place um, and uh, you know I, I knew how things work right so I was comfortable with that and um, I had some relationships which I could leverage the goodwill of which I could leverage in my control so uh, you know it is it is a it is a give and take not only with your um, you know with your people who, who are senior to you not mm-hmm. you know not your uh, supervisors or managers uh, with your peers um, and also with your team teams as well, you know. So I I got to experience um, the power of a team uh, in my first role here when I was the head of business planning analysis, and uh, and that was one of the best phases, um, you know, that I had. We had a nice team and we we were transparent with each other, and uh, you know the fact that uh, all the team we are still connected, uh, and we call that BPA family. We have a WhatsApp group. And the fact that we are still connected and we are there to help each other if whenever required, we still reminisce those moments and you know those memories. So that is that is what trust is all about, and right? You can reach out beyond, beyond the four walls of your corporate office and taking those relationships into the real world, your world. Of course, and you know, somewhere we have to connect. Uh, the 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 eight or nine or ten hours that we are spending mm. in office with our larger purpose in life. Right. Um, uh, we we also want these relationships to have a good impact on us. We want to sleep well at night, all of us at the end of the day. And, um, you know, the basis for for that is trust based relationships with everyone. If you are transparent with your teams, they will trust in you and, you know, they will deliver beyond what they think they are, uh, you know, they are capable of. Right. So they would they will you will create mini rock stars. And I love doing that. I've written that in my profile as well that, you know, I love creating mini rock stars and uh, mini leaders because I really believe you multiply uh, your impact when your team really delivers on, you know, what you feel um, is possible by them and when you help them do it. Right. When you when you put them ahead as well, when you give them that visibility, they can do anything for you. And these relationships, uh, you know, they they are they are long lasting. Right. Of course, you need to be consistent also, but these relation trust based relationships are always long lasting. So it is it is extremely important to develop that trust, whether it be even with the with a manager. It takes time to develop that trust. Right. When when you've not worked with that manager um, directly or indirectly, uh, it takes time. 
right uh, so uh, i would i would definitely say that this is one of uh, the most important thing in any relationship and um, uh, as far as you know uh, people trusting you to confide in them is concerned it is also about when they call you for something important or do you pick their phone up right do you do you help them when they need you the most uh, do you go out of your way and you know get people together because of your goodwill and relationships do you help them achieve their uh, you know uh, whatever their target for the day or of or, or in that moment and yeah. if you do that that keeps building up slowly and slowly and then people start confiding in you right and then it is upon you to how to really you know um, not really uh, you know present that information as it is but really uh, you know take the essence out of it and resolve those issues for them right and present it in the right way to the senior teams that look okay. my teams are having are, are experiencing that pain how do i elevate that pain for them so uh, so yeah that's that's my experience of trust i i was reading seth the other day and he was talking about being consistent with your generosity uh, that line just blew me away because it's so true it's it's you know we are uh, yes. so all over the place with our own thoughts in mind and our mind sometimes that we forget uh, the tribes and tribulations of the other person and we need to realize that all of us are going through a similar journey and we have to be there for each other and that's how we can push the needle forward on whatever our goal is the collective vision no, absolutely i know absolutely and uh, i think you mentioned one more point that all of us are so inundated with information in this age and it's so true it's the problem of excess you see uh, we have so much we and i was i was talking to someone the other day and i was asking them how do you prioritize it's become so difficult you you also need time to um, you know do your uh, like uh, at least for us uh, we have you know the kids to manage we have the house to manage and on top of that we also uh, you know want to do well in our corporate career and we have so much of information we need to be updated we need to talk to so many people how do we manage our time and i think the person who is able to prioritize their time well uh, will be the winner right yeah. uh, in the long run it's very important to prioritize uh, your tasks uh, not on a, not only on a daily basis but on a regular basis um, and you know what is important to you and there's a beautiful eisenhower's matrix now there are these beautiful models and theories uh, but they but they remain on paper unless you really build that muscle to practice them Uh, the eisenhower's matrix is about urgent and important tasks and what you do with them on a daily basis so aditi as we were exchanging our, sh- our uh, notes for the show um you know we touched upon you touched upon a couple of points uh, and i want to focus a little bit on the value uh, value adds that this role brings for the cxo uh, one thing that you speak about is bringing that outside perspective uh, to the table right so if you can elaborate a bit about on, on uh, the areas where uh, the role brings a lot of value add to the c suite i think that will be a good place to start sure so um you know like like i like you just said and like i also have um, uh, experienced this that uh, just bringing that outside in perspective is is extremely important because um, you know 
in our normal course of work, the day just passes by. Uh, you know, you must have a lot of times we feel that it just time just flies by and we, we don't have that energy to go back and see how this particular process is run in other organizations, unless there is a project uh, to create a document on that, right? So we don't really benchmark with the best, if you will. And um, uh, this role particularly because, you know, we, we are not um, having a certain function um, uh, in our, um, you know, in our purview, we are looking at business as a whole. And that's why it's, uh, you know, we, we have that, um, uh, I would say, that time to really uh, talk to the external world and look at how a particular problem is solved externally or how others have done it. And you know there is no harm in in uh, in taking that. And uh, uh, why why do we recreate the wheel? You know, look at how this person has done it, and we just take it. And that's why it's important to read a lot. It's important to talk to people from other industries, from across industries. Yes. So when I was in, uh, you know, in Fratel. Um, Martin Fratel, and now it's of course it's merged with Indus. Um, I spoke to a couple of people in Airtel um, or in uh, in Indus Towers at that point of time itself, just to get a sense of what they are doing right, right, and what what best practices we can bring in from there. And we did as well. And it also gives you um, you know a fresh perspective of looking at things because otherwise you know we all become very very uh, Oh, we all become very, um, you know, um, yeah. uh, very, um, you know, straight jacketed in our in our thinking, if you will. So um, that that I feel is one value add of this role, definitely benchmarking with the best and uh, bringing in fresh perspectives. And like you said, you know, uh, at times asking the right questions. It's not only about, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 giving the right solutions at all points of time. It's also about clarifying the thought process of the leadership and um, uh, also adding value in terms of like I already mentioned multiplying the return on their time right um, and and de-bottlenecking the constraints for exponential outcomes um, so these are a couple of things how you know how ways how which um, this role definitely adds value uh, one more perspective that I would want to bring is about culture. And, you know, the famous uh, management guru, Peter Drucker, has said that culture eats a strategy for breakfast, right? <laughs> it is important that you create the right, uh, uh, while, no, while strategy is important and, uh, you know, it's critical that you have a, a roadmap vision. Yeah, so... Uh, the idea is, you know, are your people aligned with that vision? Uh, is your team motivated and, you know, they are, uh, you are, uh, you know, doing the right set of uh, engagement with them. You are not only uh, as an R&R &R or as like a quarterly R&R, &R, but you are engaging with them on a constant basis. You are giving them visibility during town halls. There was one town hall we had where 50 people spoke. Right. It was about um, a two or a two and a half hour town hall where we gave chance to, uh, you know, and this was um, this was not uh, from the leadership. It was across functions. It was across hierarchies. And this was about democratizing leadership. Right. It, it is just so important that people feel that, oh, you know, just because you know, she uh, he or she is in a certain role, uh, they are only allowed to speak about the vision or the strategies. That's not the that's not the case at all. We want them to take the ownership, you know, by way of what um, by way of which what happens is 
the person starts to feel that they are a part of this vision and only when the person feels that way will they give their best will they go out of their way to do things right because it's very easy to say that oh the job is 9 to 5 we will not work weekends we will not work when when things are down but it, it really takes a person to put themselves in the job to uh, you know to uh, to be out there when there are issues right when the company needs them the most and uh, this role i feel um, at least um, you know uh, the 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 perspective that i have and the culture that i have created the perception that i have created in this role is that i definitely want um, you know this role to play a key factor in in getting that culture in place and getting the people prepped up having that energy uh, you know we we actually created a sign symbol so i i got into this role in around uh, jan feb 2020 and the division was just uh, formed at that point of time hmm. so we created this one symbol okay like this plus symbol for everyone so this plus really meant uh, the uh, you know the whole is greater than the sum of the parts Wow. All right so um, uh, everybody got so energized with that the idea is how do you rally everyone um, you know on the on the same path so yes uh, you know i want to move this conversation from culture to employee experience and you touched upon this in your initial conversation sure. and i've been reading i shared that book with you guys on uh, on the group as well uh, which is the employee yes. experience advantage by jacob mock now jacob looked at 250 organizations around the world uh, you know these are companies who constantly feature in the best of best lists prepared by fortune and other places uh, most of them are technology companies not surprising to me but there there are there are also companies in the manufacturing space space there are companies in uh, telecom there are companies in retail all of these companies hospitality uh, hilton i was surprised to see hilton as the number one uh on the list prepared by fortune in the best places to work right sure so um this brings me to the point of employee experience as you stress as you stressed a lot on building the culture one part of it is and you also touched upon this is i look at my people as my internal customers right uh, this idea of customer experience it has existed for a long time but people have always especially in large organizations it's not very true in smaller organizations but in large organizations people are seen as replaceable cogs in a well oiled machine mm. so if mm. i have trouble with a junior of mine who is you know mm, trying to fill in boots which are much <laughs> larger than his shoe feet size he tends to do things which which is not okay for me as a leader for instance right Mm. then rather than me delving into that mindset what this young guy is trying to do i want to delegate right. him push him down right mm. be in line stand there it's like mm. going mm. back to school all over all over again but right right employee experience flips it over it's about thinking about the needs wants and desires of these people who are with you and then just asking them okay what do you need and you know using your technology infrastructure using your building your physical environment and your culture as a tool to arrange these uh, um, you know arrange these levels to achieve these ends so that i see missing in almost every major company in india 
um, you guys are a pretty big organization. I'm sure thousands of people are working there. Um, as size increases, the challenge to manage people is always, uh, you know, it grows exponentially. So let's tell me a little bit about employee experience. That's right. You tend to focus a lot uh, on that area. So if you can share certain anecdotes from your organization and personally, how do you think about this? So uh, there's a very famous uh, quote from Douglas mm -hmm. Conant. He's an mm -hmm. American businessman uh, that to win in the, uh, in the marketplace, you first need to excel in, at your workplace. Right. It's it's important, um, you know, that uh, you create that, uh, uh, like you said, that employee experience and uh, you take you understand their needs um, and uh, align them to the and also you understand their aspirations and align it to the company's larger purpose. Right. Um, there's this famous story of um, this janitor being asked. Uh, that you know, uh, what are you, what are you doing? So he he's working in NASA, and he says, "I'm putting us. Every person in the organization really relate to the purpose of the uh, of the larger organization. is It's very very important in their own way, and um, you know, and as far as uh, uh, you know, people uh, trying to uh, you know sort of denigrate or like you said, push down." on others is concerned. See, these are uh, these are short-term issues. And I always say that life, uh, either at, you know, on the corporate side or even otherwise, is not a 100-meter sprint. Um, it, it is a marathon, right? You will get obstacles and you will have milestones in life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you, when, yeah, when you, you know, when you do things, um, uh, uh, when you are yourself, and, you know, even if you are trying to sort of, and I'm talking about the person who's, who's, who has aspirations, who is ambitious, Right and who wants to do a lot, uh, you develop a muscle, right? Uh, you can you can face issues in terms of not having the right managers in the short term, but uh, you know what? At the end of it, uh, in your next role or in your next to next role, you will shine, right? Because you've developed that muscle, um, and uh, leadership is about developing the winning muscle. It's it's really really important that it's uh, see it's it's important. It, great speakers. They are not only, uh, you know, uh, they not only speak or communicate well during their their moments of importance, which is when they are up on stage, whether virtually now or you know otherwise. Uh, they they keep practicing, whether in small conversations with their friends or with their family, and that's how you develop a muscle. Absolutely. So uh, you know that you, uh, one has to look at it from a positive perspective as well. See, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we don't have control over others' emotions and their, uh, you know, and their um, areas of priorities, but we do over ours, right? Uh, and like I said, it, a corporate life is very long. It spans almost what twenty-five to thirty years. Um, and nowadays, you know, you don't see a, a lot of people who stay for a very long time in a particular place. They want that, uh, they want that breadth of experience, right? Um, so, uh, like I said, when you develop, when you, when you, when you are at your best, you develop a winning muscle. And, uh, you know, it, it is of, you know, it gives you back when you go uh, ahead in your life. So it's okay to, to have that short term, uh, you know, obstacle. And it, in fact, it teaches you a lot, right? Um, like I have been with, um, you know, like uh, I have been with a chief operating officer, a chief financial officer, a chief marketing officer, and now with a chief executive. So I have seen like a breadth of leaders, right? And even otherwise I have worked with managing directors and partners. And, um, you know, not every person is the same. 
and right. you also learn from the leaders what not to do right uh, how you shouldn't be doing things or how you shouldn't be reacting because whatever you do you are the hero right or, or the heroine or whatever right you everything that you do uh, is being watched by others and they will they will take it on on uh, on their face right they will they will just replicate it with their team so it's very important as a leader uh, you know you are uh, you are percolating the right message the right behavior and um, your your chief of staff is also amplifying that culture is is amplifying that message across so no, I, that's exactly my uh, beautifully said uh, the ceo amplifies the culture right which means he influences it the most people are looking up to him even if he is not a leader and because i don't see leadership as a position or a designation it's a way of right. how you conduct yourself um, absolutely if uh, if you see holes in that designation the person who is uh, holding the office if you see certain holes in their in, in their leadership style or aura is it my duty as the chief of staff because you know you you talk about your role uh, a large part of it being about influencing that culture how do you go about influencing culture uh, in, in a situation which is as conflicting as this yeah so and there are many times like these right when um, when you would uh, want your you know your manager to be like uh, the best person and so see i would say that uh, no one is perfect right we all even i have flaws i would want to be the most perfect and ideal person but i'm not i have my flaws like everybody does right, right? the idea is that is it is it something that is bothering others mm. is it something which is uh, you know uh, which is a kind of uh, hindrance in you know in in the achievement of of a particular target or is it negatively impacting someone or something if it is then yes it is it is a good idea to have a conversation and uh, even to initiate that conversation it it takes you know it takes efforts it takes preparation um as to you because you know how your manager will react so right. it's always good to at least you know be transparent because uh, that is also something that you know a, a role of chief of staff does which is uh, be a sounding board right so you are not only a sounding board for good things you are also a sounding board like a feedback right so that maybe you know we should do things like these and you don't really you know talk directly about uh, you know the manager's um, uh, points but but in a way that you know it is about the process it is about the the, the fact that the process is getting impacted or you know a certain um, uh, a certain area is getting impacted and that's why we should probably you know change the way we are we approach this right. so th- that's how it is the right? basis for uh, the change of why the need exists and what is it yes uh, yes uh, we, we and i think we have to accept that of you behaving in a certain way and it is kind of you know deviating us from our larger vision so kind of we no, need absolutely we need to and to make sure he understands it as well no absolutely and see every like i said uh, and we have to accept every person as they are absolutely. right uh, that's what vipassana is all about isn't it like we we need to accept people as they are and we need to work with their best yeah. version because and you know, after was, a point of as i was looking at the us elections and and just if i look at that country as a whole there is so much people picking sides all the time this guy ye acha aadmi hai this guy is like terrible that's a terrible way of uh, managing people because you've already picked sides now when if he's yes. doing something because we're all living in shades of gray and right right the goodness if you see me 
I'll be the best man ever. And if you see me at my moment of weakness, like I'm the craziest guy on the planet, right? That, <laughs> and then bringing that, you know, that way of thinking to your work certainly yes. all yes. your behavior. Yes, and it does. And see, uh, I always say this, that uh, life is never black and white. You know, if it were, then life was so simple for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Life is never black and white. It's a lot of shades of gray. In fact, it's more shades of gray that's than black and white. <laughs> right? And that's the fun part, right? And like I said, I mean, everybody and especially it's this role uh, has to... Of life that makes it fun. Yes. And, you know, uh, one of my mentors, and I picked this line from her, which is, which she says that it's about being uncomfortable or being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? It's Absolutely. about, uh, it's about thriving in that, um, you know, in that, uh, in that discomfort. And uh, it's okay. These, you have to accept these shades of gray and move mm. on. Mm. So, um, you know, that's how I put it. Mm. Um, one point that I have, have here is, uh, um, working across divisions in an organization. So you talk about uh, unconstrained thinking, right? Yeah. Going beyond your function, going beyond your division and thinking about the larger organization. Uh, practically, how is it practiced? Uh, how can I be better at it? Uh, and in organizations which are operating in silos all the time, because I remember I was, when I was leading the MA team uh, at a technology company in Bangalore, I have... They have literally thousands of people working in the technology stack. I had no interaction with them whatsoever. And I was actually buying a company which was, which would have given them power to use new technology and AI and cloud. But I had no interaction mm. with the leaders there or the people there. The only time I right. met them, the only time I met them when we used to have these annual uh, sports meets. That's when I could. Right. And even then, you know, we had our own uh, team within the finance function where I would be a part of it. So that, that's so ingrained in our minds, right? Trying to go right. micro in our management that suddenly we have to go beyond. How do you do, do, do that at Sterlite? Um, and if you can just share an example with your own personal life and experiences, that'll be great. Uh, sure, so as I understand the question, this is about functional silos. And uh, you know, how do you do it? And getting into unconstrained thinking, how do you do that? And that, sure. So, I think it's it's about um, you know the functional silos will exist. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, if they can really be uh, a totally uh, you know sort of uh, permeable across the functional silos do exist, and sometimes there is a healthy friction is good, mm. right? Uh, because every every function is is looking at uh, their own objective. So. You know your uh, your finance function would be like I need you know I need to do uh, the maximum possible the best profits uh, at the uh, you know at the most optimal costs, and you know your operations team would be like I'm always short of resources. Um, I I need those resources to get my targets moving in a limited amount of time, uh, and at the best quality. So um, a little amount of friction is always sort of good. Uh, but having said that, um, you know if these silos. Uh, uh, hinder you your, uh, you know, make sure, make sure that's, uh, this friction doesn't create bottlenecks. Friction is good because yes. it will allow you to do something, but if it, yes. if it could, it could also hamper you, right? It could kind of, uh, put you in your shell. So we need to make right, sure right. that doesn't happen. How does that happen? 
Sure. So uh, let us first understand why functional silos, uh, you know, uh, when do functional silos become bottlenecks? And they become bottlenecks, you know, when um, uh, when people start uh, asserting their authority and they say that, oh, this uh, a step of this process passes through my department, so I will hold on to it. Exactly. And which is why, which is, this is how... This is why uh, the functional silos would ideally exist. And, uh, you know, how to really uh, work around them is, which is why I say it's important to get not only for this role to work with the CXO, but to work with the larger leadership as well. Right. I said this, I said that in the beginning that only when you have your top, uh, you know, the leadership as well as their L1s uh, aligned, uh, you know, to the to the common vision, then the silos are probably happening at the L3, L4 level. Um, and uh, that is still okay because no, you right. cannot, you cannot permit That's still okay because yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, you cannot really go to that level um, at, you know, in a very short span of time, it will take some time to percolate uh, for that to percolate uh, across the teams. But uh, that th th those functional silos definitely should not exist at mm. the leadership level or their, uh, their reporting level. Uh, you know, that would be harmful. Because that would stop, that would break a process in between. Um, you know, that would uh, also uh, not only hinder the prog the uh, achievement of a target, but uh, maybe you know more was possible, right? More beyond the target was possible, which right. now people will be more constrained to you know um, like uh, they will have that constraint within them, and which is why it is also important to bring in the outside in fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, see everything, and I'm I'm seeing I'm I'm seeing this word a lot nowadays. Using content in context, right? right? Uh, so in in this, like in marketing, you have this uh, term called using content with context. And in yeah. in our field, we in business, we have using data with context, right? We might be doing very good relatively with in respect to our let's say past years um, uh, and what have you. But uh, with yeah. respect to let's say another firm, we are not doing that great. Right. So where is that benchmark? You know, can we oh, this means if the other firm has achieved it, which is relatively, you know, similar to to ours in structure and business and strategy, then why can't we? You know, what are where where are we lacking? Well, we've done very well in the last few years, but we can definitely go there. You know, it just it just gives you a perspective that the milestone can be much wider. And that's what pushes you ahead. It takes you to another orbit. If you will, right? So that's that's about unconstrained thinking, which is which is important. It's important for someone to inject these fresh ideas at all points of time. I want to bring one more point here, which is uh, kind of a change in the way leaders are also supposed to think. You know, now we're talking mm -hmm. about uh, millennials being the bulk of your workforce, right? Twenty-five, thirty-year-old people have a very different way of thinking because they don't believe in hiding what they think. They believe in expressing yes. totally what their thoughts are, even if they're talking to a 50 year old. I mean, I've been so comfortably, comfortable at talking to my very senior partner when I was 25, that my 35 year old bosses were like, they were surprised. And hmm. I was like, this is exactly what I had to say. I don't know, I was expecting you to say it. Why, why, why didn't you? But you know, right. without the system, through which they have gone and the seven or eight years that they have been there, they are, that's what they've seen their bosses do. So they kind of repeat that. Right. right. Now suddenly you have 70% of your workforce, which is going to be millennials and Gen Z by 2025. And you have the same yes. you're at the top, these uh, in the C-suite, in the corner office, or 
मतलब जितना भी बोले नीचे थोड़ा गाड़िया दिखती हैं तो अच्छा ही लगता है तो वेन यू आर एंड यू सडनली वेरी डिफरेंट परसपेक्टिव हु मे और मे नॉट यू नो बट बट विद अथॉरिटी how do you manage these people how do you bring in sure how do you make the leader empathize with with the millennials sure and uh, let's first understand why uh, this ideology is coming in place right earlier the workplace were much more formal right it was very formalized you have to be uh, you know absolutely uptight um and of course the culture is different across different places but like you rightly said the millennial generation or the gen z uh, uh, as we call them is is more open and they are more you know like like you said they are more transparent in in you know in saying what they want to say and uh, accordingly everyone needs to also sort of uh, unlearn what they have learned if you will and i have seen that change in the senior management even even at our place i have seen that that change in the mindset because um, you know like you rightly said this is the driving force and and that's how that's how they they will sort of react to situations there is a concept now called uh, or it's been there for some time which is called reverse mentoring right which is about um, you know a management trainee or with two three years of experience they are kind of mentoring senior leaders in organizations it's there in a couple of organizations as a process and um, uh, so this really shows that even the senior people are ready to learn and uh, they are ready to uh, you know change uh, their their silos their siloed thinking or their even their areas of expertise because um, i would want to sort of touch upon uh, the new normal or what we are calling the hybrid workforce mm. or the uh, you know or the employee of the future or the new normal is really a person who will uh, who will not really be uh, tied up to a particular skill so you know uh, in one of the research uh, it is said that around 42% of the people will require reskilling in the next 3 years right it is it is so important for uh, for you to keep uh, reskilling yourself and this is not at any level this is at all levels right. and it is more difficult for a person who has been doing the same thing for let's say you know 15 yes. years 20 years of their life to reskill than for a person who is very fresh right uh, so it's it's more difficult it's, for them but i think is that the, why, the, Arati, is that why a lot of young talent that uh, you know there is that this migration happening from uh, corporates to startups because it's cooler to work there i'm working with people who are my age they listen to me uh, they behave like me we party together which is not the case with uh, uh, in a corporate organization do you, do you think oh, that but- really amazing because amazing talent is leaving corporates and tomorrow yes how i see the world it's going to be a war on talent you're going to be yeah, out there looking for the best people and they would probably not be willing to work for you because you know you're not willing to budge or change your uh, experience no absolutely and see it is it is also about uh, a generate generation mindset change right earlier you know for um, like i would say one generation even before me there was only there were only two or three professions you know you could either be like you would be like a doctor or an engineer and or a lawyer and so on right there were there were very few like you know like really white collar professions if you will now there are so many options right um even our parents have become very uh, open minded 
in that sense and that's why they are allowing their uh, you know their children and uh, you know the juniors to to um, really take up these startups right out of college right uh, you we see so many we hear so many examples where you know people straight out of college have rejected a high paying corporate job and they have start, they have gone to a startup it's also because their ecosystem has allowed for it and they are more independent in their thinking right because they have they have that support system it's not because the corporates have allowed it it's hmm. the ecosystem has come up against them it's not for with them although yes now we have a lot of b2b companies that's the evolution that i'm seeing now when it came originally right. it was totally focused on consumers right because consumers b2c consumers, yeah. consumers don't care about a brand anymore they care about right does this product have a huge change in my life and if it does right. i don't care right they can win my trust i don't care if i can I, i'll buy a, a shoe online from flipkart i won't go right. to a branded store so that change right. in the mindset of the consumer and then these people who are you know who are fed up of the system they right. got together and they like okay we're going to do something about it so i think that's that that is also there so that is also there No, that is also there because see, the, in the organization, uh, you know, you are uh, you are bounded by a certain. Mm-hmm. There is there there are boundaries, right? Which which might not exist instance, in a startup. For instance, if and, you go out there and you have a great idea about about doing something very differently for your customers within Sterlight, right? How much? What is the probability of you being given a budget, a team, to start something from scratch? and build it within an organization i'm i am pretty sure for most organizations that would be less than 2% or 3% i'd love to believe that it's a high probability i would love to believe it's a high probability also because you know in every place whether it's a startup or it's a it's a corporate it's about resources right and uh, you know because resources are in um, are in scarcity uh, what what the senior management or the person who is approving your idea will look for the nobility of the idea will look for you know the the uh, the profits in return will look for the impact or uh, the time to go to market right uh, uh, so i think in in both kinds of organizations you will you will have these parameters on which you will be judged at the end of the day like i said you know the resources are limited and the person who is judging you wants to put their money uh, at the right place so But then um, push the needle on innovation uh yes so see it's different in different places like you know in i would say i would take the example of ibm right ibm has this entire um uh, entire uh, team which is uh, the innovation labs that they have and there are many such uh, you know innovation uh, teams which are there separately in organizations they are housed in organizations and see that's that's the classic um, sort of it's the uh, dichotomy between you know the large scale enterprise and the small and medium businesses or the startups if you will and um, it's it's both sides you know the both sides of the stories are different and like i have worked in global mnc's like uh, goldman sachs and pwc i've also seen uh, you know small uh, medium sized businesses uh, so uh, for me uh, you know the 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 experience in both the places have been very very different and um, you know i'm very lucky to to have this breadth of experience and um, i would say that i wouldn't change uh, you know the way um, you know i have at least shaped up in these places for anything uh, startups have their own feel they have their own um, you know objectives uh, and 
and a large corporate would have their own. But I, I feel that, you know, a person would act rationally in both these places, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, uh, there would be more agility uh, in, a, in a startup, but so would the risk be very high because, you know, the processes are not documented or uh, like, you know, they, they wouldn't want to go in a set pattern of things. Um, you know, they want to really do things very quickly and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, I think I it's like, you know, it will... three departments for, for signing up on my project waiting correct. six months to do it. Correct. I will just do it right now. And I get that. Correct. Correct. And that's why, that's the reason why most, uh, if you just look 20 years back uh, to the Fortune 500 list or the S&P 500, that composition has completely changed. And I feel if uh, currently companies which are really huge, if they don't recognize this change happening, we will drastically see 500 new entities and those 500 companies which were really big for us, poof, they're gone. And, and if you, and I think there was this NASCOM report where the number of unicorns, the, the number of unicorns from, uh, you know, in the last 10 years till 2018, um, uh, were the same as the number of unicorns in a year in 2019, wow. right? And they have, uh, yeah, so it, it's it's amazing that the unicorns have definitely, and the number of startups have definitely grown. But to your point of, uh, you know, how do you really manage millennials and work with them to get their best is again on the, I'll, I'll just connect it back with the point of authenticity. Right. Um, it's about it's about the humility. Like it's, mm -hmm. it, and it has to be a give and take. Right. When they value the fact that you have experience and you can guide them to do the right things, you have to value that, you know, um, uh, they will be able to uh, sort of, you know, help you in in achieving the, or help the company in achieving the vision in a certain way. They like working in a certain way and you have to also mold yourself according to it. So I think it's about it's about developing again that trust in that relationship but in a different way you know it's not really asserting that uh, authority but it's really again uh, of course they might be reporting to you but um, at the end of the day you have to influence them to do the right thing so again it's about influencing it's about creating the right perception and um, I also feel that just being transparent with them uh, makes a lot of difference uh, you know, just, um, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, knowing that, you know, you have got a certain uh, direction uh, from from your leader and just sort of transparently talking to them about it and talking to them quickly about it. Right. So that it doesn't really go in directions. Um, and, you know, they feel that they are also a part of that vision of that project. So uh, just that transparency matters a lot. So, uh, you know, working with millennials is obviously a lot of fun as well, because, uh, you know, you uh, you get to, um, you know, have these uh, nice parties and get fresh perspectives from from different places. So at least I love working with the team that I have. So they are all millennials and they are all wonderful people. And like I like I've already written that I love creating rock stars out of them. Great. Um, let's talk about the future of this role. Um, sure. One is uh, you playing the role of a mentor, right? Trying to create those rock stars. Two, it's about leveraging technology, right? And, and do you also feel that there could be a time when uh, you're no longer required in the role that you are and that a machine can actually replace you? Uh, sure. So if you can just take that question. 
Yeah, sure. And that's an interesting point, right, that we discussed that, um, uh, you know, that could be like a point of singularity where, where machines take over man. Uh, but but for that, you know, till the time we reach there, I definitely feel that a couple of, uh, you know, points can be can be utilized by what we call autonomous intelligence. Mm. Right. Uh, not artificial, but autonomous intelligence. And, uh, you know, you have conversational AI getting intelligent. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to sort of uh, uh, understand the perspectives and look at what can be, let's say I'm giving an example and I'm going into details, uh, what can be, uh, you know, the, the action points from this meeting just by listening to the meeting, what can be the agenda for the next meeting just by listening to it. And if, if people are really recording their actions on a certain, let's say a platform, they can just take the actions from that platform and just produce a, a red green kind of a report, which, which says that, look, these actions have not been closed. Maybe we should tweak our agenda in this way. So uh, it, it is possible that, you know, these kind of areas are, are automated and are um, you know are given off to uh, the the intelligent uh, you know uh, uh, the sophias of the world if you will um, i don't know the male equivalent but uh, apart from this <laughs> but apart from this uh, i think one point is also around um, you know these these uh, uh, polarity thinkers right mm -hmm. so what are polarity thinkers? This is about uh, you, a person using their analytical and emotional intelligence. Now, uh, for an for an AI to to have a very high amount of emotional intelligence, you need to feed them with that kind of data as well, right? Um, uh, and it is difficult. It is difficult to acquire that data and understand those patterns. Um, whereas analytical, it might be easier, but emotional is very difficult. And that is where this role will transcend. Uh, and that's where I feel this role will play a very important, uh, you know, part in just, um, you know, that that situational in 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 creating that situational and understanding that situational importance of things in connecting the dots. Uh, because data for this for feeding the AI would anyways be very less, right? So you wouldn't expect an AI to do this in any case. So um, I do feel that, um, you know, the, the empathy and the humility or just connecting the dots between various, uh, uh, you know, functions um, and hierarchies uh, and across businesses uh, between the business and corporate and just, 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 you know, ensuring that these relationships are coming together is something that uh, the AI will, will not be able to do, at least in, in the, even in the very uh, long term. Um, and, uh, you know, this is where I definitely feel the role will transcend and, um, uh, you know, uh, carry um, uh, a lot more value add in terms of being a force multiplier uh, to the impact that the office of the leadership and, you know, I say not only the CXO, but the entire leadership uh, in general has. Mm. This now brings me to the last leg of the interview. And uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions around... Uh, you know, leaving certain guideposts for people who are interested to pursue something like this. What I find the most interesting in this conversation is, I think it's a great uh, uh, preparation ground. This role is a great preparation ground to becoming a future leader. You could be a CMO, you could become a CEO, or you might go join a not-for-profit or pursue something else. And I think it prepares you in a very different way uh, for the challenges that lie ahead just for the breadth of things that you are doing. Yes. Tell me a little bit about somebody, you know, straight out of college looking to go, maybe work 
at a division something like yours or uh, if he is interested to go join a, a young startup you know a fourth year uh, iit guy who is doing something in ai and he's looking for like second year help helpers right <laughs> and i want right. to that guy um uh, make myself indispensable for him how do i go about building you know that relationship and and things that i need to focus on at my end to really be a great member of the founders team or the chief of staff sure so um you know these roles have different manifestations in different uh, companies in some companies uh, you become the chief of staff after uh, you know 15 18 20 years of experience and in others you know it's 10 years or even sometimes fresh out of college as well and uh, so one is that factor and of course if you want to be uh, a part of you know the founding team of any company i think it's it's about um like like i said you know my at least my guiding factors are the three right you have to be ambitious and agile um and uh, you also need to build you know how the trust how do i demonstrate my ambitions my agility no sure so uh, that's what i'm coming to and you know like when you when you are uh, believing in the vision of the founder right and uh, you are telling him uh, you know you are you are guiding him also on your experience and what you think that vision means right for for yourself and uh, you know if there are certain um, uh, you know strategic perspectives they have might not have considered or if there is some there, there is something else they can add to it right how are they how are you really value adding to his work or his or her work at that point of time right. is is something that will that will help them um, you know uh, 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 really uh, move in in that uh, you know in the trust based relationship move up and um, also raising the bar for them right at the end of the day you are looking for people who can who can raise the bar for you you know you become right. there's this famous saying that you become the best of the average of the of the you know people that you spend your time with so it's also about like you know raising the bar uh, for uh, for your entire um, you know leadership team as a whole and you know at that point of time when you are just fresh out of college uh, you you have these uh, you know you have these great ideas you have a great network which is very fresh and um, uh, you which you can bring in uh, it's and also about <laughs> yeah no absolutely <laughs> unconstrained uh, energy <laughs> unconstrained and and also and also um, you know you you have to be consistent at what you deliver yeah. right um, uh, if you are uh, if you are delivering some projects or some results it's that consistency which matters as well consistency in your behavior or the way you are handling difficult situations for your leader right uh, uh, is is how you develop that trust as well and um, uh, one more good way to really learn about this role which was not there uh, a couple of um, you know even years uh, years earlier is this whole community like i spoke about in the beginning we have an entire group on linkedin um, yeah. you have started this wonderful uh, you know the strategy uh, podcast has um uh, has started this wonderful uh, you know uh, series where people can just even uh, you know look at these uh, and even listen into these interviews and understand what it is really uh, in these roles which is for which they can prep themselves up there is a book um and there are a whole lot of resources now there are research articles in harvard business so there is a lot now that at least that people can you know at least consume and understand what this role means and how they want to sort of mold 
um, and into their into their you know sort of given the, how their leader perceives this role will be and deliver in this role so that's how i believe that uh, you know people can excel at this at this space thank you so much aditi uh, i want a uh, last question is uh, what do you think uh, i ought to have asked and i didn't i asked this to everybody <laughs> um uh, well i think um, you know it was a very very nice discussion rohit and uh, you know i i really think you touched uh, every aspect of it and um, i would like to congratulate uh, this team for doing a great job really for uh, bringing this community together and you know i strongly believe in this fact that we grow and learn together right we grow as a community and we grow uh, with each other and gone are the days you know when we used to see each other as rivals and as competition right. and denigrating others you know it's it's all about uh, you know the power of the collective right um, and and uh, the covid is a great example because we got together as a community we have been able to i mean we have been able to sort of um, uh, contain it otherwise it would it would have taken magnanimous proportions right uh, that's that's the power of collective which we all have to harness and uh, move forward so i i absolutely enjoyed this conversation rohit and uh, really nothing i don't feel uh, you know that you have not touched upon anything uh, but um, it's it's been a wonderful conversation really with you on this thank you thanks a lot uh, uh, really means a lot to me Oh. thank you so much and uh, um you know i i just loved uh, con- like you know ha- this conversation and uh, um I, you know we i hope that uh, you and uh, you know strategy podcast really um, uh, go go a lot a lot more uh, into this and grow this community and uh, you know raise the bar for all of us so thank you so much rohit thank you so much aditi thank you It means a lot to me Hey guys, thank you for tuning in on today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you really liked it, please follow us. Please leave, please leave us a like. Please follow us and share it with your friend, family, and friends. It's an initiative that we are doing for all of us. Our mission is to teach something we know, and uh, we can only create um, an indelible impression uh, in the lives of others if we share it with people that we love.